For the past couple weeks, we've been mentioning that cold wax medium is on sale at Blick. But what we haven't mentioned is that there's a ton of oil paint that's also on sale. All of the Gamblin paints are on sale. Also, Utrecht paints are on sale. Rembrandt Artist Oils are on sale. And for those Rembrandt Artist Oils, in addition to the already fantastic discounts, they are offering a free 15 milliliter tube of burnt umber with the purchase of $30 worth of Rembrandt Artist Oil paint. That's limit one per customer while supplies last. So if you would like to get a great deal on Rembrandt Artist Oils and a free tube of paint, head on over to Blick using our affiliate link, which is, of course, MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. Please bookmark that link. Using that link is tremendously important to us because when you use our affiliate link, it takes you straight through to the regular Blick website, but using that affiliate link, Blick will donate 10% of your purchase to the Messy Studio Podcast. It costs you nothing, and it's a tremendous benefit to us. So once again, that's MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick, B-L-I-C-K. That's all for now. On with the show. Artistic expression is driven by an inner need to be your authentic self, to express what is true and unique in your individual experiences and thoughts. That may sound straightforward, but as we know, there is nothing easy about finding the creative voice that is yours, dedicating your time and energy to its expression, or putting the work that results out into the world. Creative expression challenges us to be honest, to focus, face our fears, and to understand and cope with failure. We can feel alone in this journey, but countless other people in all fields of endeavor have followed their creative urges and found a way forward. Today, we are really excited to welcome our special guest, author, entrepreneur, and award-winning graphic designer, Joey Caffone. Joey has designed and art-directed over 100 products from zero to launch. His design work has been featured in Fast Company, Bloomberg, New York Magazine, Newsweek, Bon Appetit, and more. He is also the author of the exciting new book that we're going to be talking about today, The Laws of Creativity, which has been called A Comprehensive Exploration of the Curiosity, Discipline, Playfulness, and Persistence Necessary to Usher New Ideas into the World. Without further ado, here's Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone, and and really a big welcome to Joey. Um, we're just glad to have you here. And it's uh, this is Joey's book, The Laws of Creativity. And it is, um, it is really full of so much inspiration and ideas. So I guess I'd like to start, uh, Joey, by asking you a little bit about your book and why you chose to write it. Yes. Well, thank you both for the wonderful welcome. I appreciate it. Um, I, I, did, I did not intend to write this book so soon. Um, I'm 36. And I thought this would be something that comes a little bit later. Uh, I actually didn't feel like I had the, the knowledge yet. But the pandemic came and changed all that. And so I had been taking notes for this book for about a decade. I'm a designer under the hood. Uh, and I don't know if you mentioned it, but I guess my credentials are I've, I've designed and art directed over 100 products from zero to uh, market. And so I was taking these notes over a decade in uh, all sorts of ways, thanks to my co-founder, Adam Cornfield's suggestion. And when the, the pandemic hit, I was telling my wife, man, this book that I'm going to write one day, oh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be such a relief to get it out of my head. And she stopped me in my <laughs> tracks and she goes, if you don't write this now, you will never write it. And so two years later, 
here it is, the laws of creativity. Right. And yeah, sometimes those things like you just get started and then who knows, there may be a, a second book, third book or something, but but you got it going and that's fantastic. Um, and, and what is your, like, what, what, what did you want to write about creativity? What, how would you define or talk about creativity? Yeah, that's a great question. What is creativity? So I define it simply as the practice of ideas and it's that simple. And you know, every day human beings have around five or 6,000 ideas. And so it is something that applies to all of us, whether we realize it or not. The practice of ideas is as critical as the practice of um, taking care of your body, because whether you consider yourself an athlete or not, you live in your body, you can't escape it and you use it every day. So creativity is the yin to uh, exercises yang, let's say. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was, Oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, no, go, go, please. I was going to say, when I was reading the introduction, I, you kind of had me at this, this sentence, because you're talking about sort of three ways that um, we're inhibited when, when we think about creativity or when we consider creativity. Um, and that was that um, the first is that authority. So teachers, people that we encounter in educational world, that authority is unquestionable, right? So that's a big block to people feeling they can be creative. The second is that the rules that we hear are meant to be followed. The rules that people make up are meant to be followed uh, to a fault. Like this is the way it is, right? And then the third one, uh, perhaps, and I thought this was really interesting. The most damaging idea to creativity block is that the end is visible from the start. And as a as a visual artist and workshop teacher, I'd say that's huge. That blocks people all the time from uh, you know, taking the leap to start a painting or something because they really don't know where it's going. And and we are we are taught that in so many ways uh, that you you know you have to know where you're going. Absolutely, I'm I'm already I've been talking about this for months now, and I still get angry when I hear these three points because these these are the things that we as a society the way we teach, and so like you said, authority is unquestionable, rules follow to a fault, and the third, which is that the end is visible from the start. And I want to bring that down to earth because it's a, that's the most abstract one. Think about very, very simply when we're in school and we are assigned to read a book. Cool. Fahrenheit 451. Most people have read that. And then it, we know in two weeks from now, we have to finish the book. We have to hand in two pages on a summary of the plot. We know exactly where we will end up before we start. And that's the same for all classes, all, almost all assignments, you know, solve the math proof or study this chapter about biology, whatever it is. And so unfortunately, we are trained that we'll know where we know where we're going. That's that's how life is presented to us as kids. And we don't ever have the opportunity until we get older and probably enter the workforce in which all of a sudden life is a complete unknown, which is actually what it's been the whole time, which <laughs> is a, you know, a, a metaphor for art and creating itself is you don't know where you go until you start. You don't know where you're going to end up. And so, yeah, that, I'm glad you brought that up because those points are, are probably the cornerstone of my frustrations with um where we are right now as a as a society and where creativity um 
needs to be addressed. And it, it, it follows many people into adulthood and um, they really want to know, you know, what's going to happen when they start creating something. And uh, as I said, like that is one of the biggest hurdles in, in teaching artists. Um, and also the other one about the authority and the rules and all mm -hmm. that, as a workshop instructor, I, I strive to not, you know, uh, be heavy that way and say, uh, this is my idea. This is the way I do it. You know, you do your thing. I'm going to give you some tools to work with. Um, but I don't, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. And so it, I think that's interesting, um, uh, important perspective for people that are teaching is, you know, to, to be able to stand back and let people make their own decisions. Absolutely. And it's it's interesting because we are actually better at this as children than we are as adults. So, um, you know, when I was first doing the research for the book and I was looking up, I, I already had all the anecdotes and the experience that I wanted to put in there, but I wanted to look for real strong data points to back those things up. And I found one that blew my socks off. And I realized that this is this is the linchpin, and I'm going to tell you right now. And it is that NASA did a study and found that 98% of kids are at the creative genius level at age five. But by 15 years old, it goes down to 12%. And by adulthood, the number dwindles to 2%. So we're going for 98% creative geniuses at five years old to almost nothing by the time we're adults. So kids are creative geniuses, adults lose it. And then, you know, I, of course, I wrote the book that helps yeah. you get it back. But what's interesting is that if you look at children and, you know, we hear this often, um, you know, it's like retain that creative childlike outlook. But it's actually just really what we're saying is being comfortable with the unknown. The, all, the whole world is an unknown to kids. They don't know when they're playing around with Legos. They don't know that. Uh, it's wrong to take the straw out of their soda and put it in the middle of their Lego creation and make something new and interesting, like a dinosaur. That's something that we're learned, we're taught, and now we have to follow those rules. Well, my straw doesn't belong in the Legos, but actually, yeah. it's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. So that so that kind of basic idea led to a lot of the thoughts in your book, I presume, um, like somehow accessing that state of mind, that uh, freedom of creativity. And I, the first part, the whole first part of your book is really about creative mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I thought we'd focus um, today. And, and talking about like how the ideas that you, well, tell us a little bit about the ideas you present in that section and how how they apply to visual artists, particularly um, as as is our audience, visual artists and also entrepreneurs. Sure, absolutely. So the book um, itself is divided into three parts. Part one is foundation, part two is process, and part three is excellence. So number one is how to think creatively. Number two is the process of how to start, um, how to create from start to finish. And number three is how to be really phenomenal. I, when I started this book, I thought I was writing just part two, the steps from zero to publishing and saying, here's how you create something as like a recipe and a set of laws. But when I went to interview folks who were what they considered themselves non-creatives, 
I found out that they actually understood a lot more about creativity than they realized, but the problem was not so much in their execution or their sequence of steps, but rather their thinking. And so part one, which we're going to talk about today, is addresses all the thoughts that you need to get aligned in your head and look at this world a certain way to really be creative and to excel in that process. Because you can have two folks go through the process, but with different mindsets come out with completely different things. And so, so you can yeah. you consider the mindset to be the first thing to address, like the foundation? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it teaches you how to understand what uniqueness really is and what, you know, we talk about the word weird in the very first chapter and it's, it's absolutely important. And then as we go on to discuss, you know, how do you parse what the world is giving you by challenging assumptions, what creativity really is, is it combining, creating, so on and so forth. And then of course, how to deal with fear, which is inherent uh, failure, which is required for success. And then understanding where you fit in the competitive landscape of others, your peers, or people you admire. And above all, uh, I end the section with, at the end of the day, you need to understand that you have to have fun what you're doing to create like something really interesting. <laughs> yeah, It's highly motivating to have fun. <laughs> right? But it's, it's, it's surprisingly something people forget so often is, hey, I should enjoy this thing that I'm doing. Yeah, we were just talking about that in a previous podcast about sort of setting goals and intentions for the coming year. And Ross, you said, well, you know, when you and, and Caro set goals, you included, we need to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's that. kind of, I mean, I think fun comes easier when you do deal with fear and you deal with the uh, downsides of competitiveness, which you talk about in the chapter, you know, comparing yourself to other people. Those things get in the way of, don't they? They do. They do. But in a way in which when you know that they're a part of it, it's it's um, it's not a block, like a blockade, but it's a challenge. And then, you know, people love challenges. There's a whole industry that does puzzles and riddles and crosswords and things. And it's looking at the challenge of um, failing as something to... Uh, dissect and learn from rather than to be stopped by. It sounds like the, well, and I know from, from reading this too, it's, it's sort of about a shift of how you look at things like fear um, rather than saying conquering fear. Um, but it's a, it's a shift of um, your own perception of it. Right. A lot of a lot of the mindset section is exactly that. It's all about mindset, and it's so really is if you know if we talk about literal perspectives, if someone is looking up at the, from the bottom of a mountain versus down from the top of a mountain, right? They're still looking at the same area, but with a completely different mindset on that. And fear and facing those fear is very similar. And so I'll read out you know the. The law of the unknown is part of the fear chapter, and it says, fear is necessary to all creative acts. Your goal is not to eradicate fear, but to acknowledge it and continue in defiance of your mind's backward tugs. When you are afraid, you are on the right path. Mm -hmm. And then in the chapter, I go on and give suggestions on how to overcome it. Right. And it, it struck me in that in that whole chapter that um, 
there's a lot of like personal courage, personal honesty, self-reflection that is required here. Um, but I, I, you know, you set out some, you set out some steps, you set out some practical applications for addressing these, these challenges. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about yeah. how, how people get into it. How, the, how can they take these steps? Sure. The first thing I want to address is that fear is something that you don't eradicate. Fear is something that you improve at dealing with. And so I am, you know, I've been doing design now for just shy of 20 years. And like I said earlier, 100 products just for Baron Fig, not including, you know, other things I've done before that. And still to this day, when I start a new project, I am I have fear. I'm afraid that this will be the problem I can't solve. And I acknowledge it every time. And I, I you know, I smirk at it, but I'm also a little bit like, oh, here it is again. And it, it makes me nervous. And it's okay, totally fine that I am scared. And and so for everyone listening out there, when you do feel that, acknowledge that. And that doesn't go away, whether you're, you know, a five-year-old or just starting your career or you're me or you're, you know, someone who has had 50 years of success. It's still in the back of your mind that maybe it won't work out today. And that's, mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, and I do have a few suggestions and it's different for everybody, but I have, I think three big ones that I found to be very effective were, you know, first of all, quantify the challenge that's actually in front of you. Am I designing? So I designed the book cover for the laws of creativity. And I could tell myself, I am designing uh, my future, or I am designing the thing that will make or break this book. Or I could say, today, I'm going to make 20 versions of covers and see where I go. And then as a quantified challenge, I'm able to, regardless of whether they're 20 good ones, I've made 20 by the end of the day. And when you keep doing that, you'll improve, you'll learn, and you have a higher probability of getting to the end. And then I don't want to keep talking forever here, but the other no, two. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, like this kind <laughs> of practical information for sure. Okay. So just, just to pause for just a second. Sure. If we can apply that to, to painting, to, I mean, a lot of our listeners are visual artists and so often um, people put everything into one painting, you know, I'm working on one mm. painting, it has to be good, it's going in my exhibit or whatever. And so as it applies to visual art, um, and, and good advice that, you know, I try to follow and, and recommend is that you have a number of things going at once. Does that fit in with what you're talking about? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I essentially tell my students, um, you are going for quantity not quality, right? And we all we all hear that phrase, um, quality over quantity, and it's true. In the end, we do want something really good rather than a thousand crappy things. However, that phrase doesn't do anything to tell us how to get there. And the answer actually is qual- quality over quantity, but quantity begets quality. And mm. so creating many, many, many versions. I'm a visual artist. I'm not just, I mean, there's so many designers, um, design types, Part of what I did when I was a graphic designer in school was also make sure that I could illustrate as well. And so I am, you know, very, very comfortable with picture making. Um, 
And I will tell you right now that when I make an illustration, by the end, I have dozens and dozens of versions of my illustration. And now for painting, that process is probably a little bit slower because of the nature of painting versus me designing on a computer and able to do copy and paste quickly. But you're able to still do the same principle, which is iterate, 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 and learn until you get there. So I, I would almost say um, it's actually a relief knowing that you have all this quantity coming so that when you jump in to start, just have fun. I mean, this is not going to go well. So accept <laughs> it and just let it out. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and you had a couple more points there? Yeah. The other two were commit to tiny, tiny bites. It's really important. Um, you know, we have left brain, right brain thinkers, people are really creative, people who are really productive and organized. And oftentimes I think folks think that because uh, I have a tendency to one that I'm not automatically not good at the other. And that's just patently false. So when you are working on a creative project, before you start, take five minutes to organize essentially what is a project management of sorts and say, hey, today I'm going to do 20 covers, tomorrow I'm going to do 20, the next day I'll do 20 or whatever it is. I'm going to do 10 sketches today and I'm going to do one painting draft. But make a plan up front. I like to do it. And then here's where you flip the switch. And now you only focus on today and the very next thing and let it all go because you don't in my mind and in my experience is you don't have to really worry where you're going anymore because you've kind of set a path and that's not a commitment. I like to say point, don't plan, you know, point yourself in a direction, lay out a sequence of steps. At least you know where you're going to head and if you get there, great. And if you say halfway through, oh, I'll point in the other direction, that's totally fine as well. Yeah, and it goes back to that original point of you don't always have to know where you're going. You you need some parameters. You need, you know, you don't need 60 side trips. You're on a general highway to somewhere. But, you know, that, that idea that you're not sure where it's going to end up, but but you know what you're going to do today and maybe tomorrow. Um, and maybe you have, I mean, I don't know, what about longer range plans or, or not? I mean, you wanted to write a book, so obviously you had – you had some kind of long range plan yeah. to break it into those daily things where eventually you want it to be a book. Right. I made the table of contents up front. Uh, I took all the notes that I had made over 10 years. I looked at them, kind of just scribbled them around, put them on index cards, arranged them into a sequence, put that in a word doc. That was a table of contents. And then probably about 90% of that stayed the same throughout the whole thing. And that 10%, as I went, I said, you know what, this would be better before this other thing or something. But yeah. that, that took such a weight off me because I had the general outline of where I was heading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what about the last one that you mentioned? Yeah. The, the last one is rationalize the risk. So, you know, we're worried about failure. I've given you a, two ways in which, you know, and fear, I should say, I've given you two ways to which um, kind of calm the fear. But at the end of the day, you're feared about your fear of failure. So go in that direction mentally, take the time to say, well, what happens if I fail? And uh, most people overestimate how risky any given endeavor is, because the, no one takes the time to put into perspective the actual damage you'd incur from failing, you know, say you do make a crappy painting. 
or I make a <laughs> crappy book cover. At the end of the day, that's totally fine. Like, there's no big, no one is sitting here saying, if you do this bad, I'm going to kill you. It's just not happening. And so rationalizing risk, um, and this even applies to entrepreneurship, um, you know, where I tell a lot of folks as they come and kind of support, uh, looking for support. And I always ask the question of, you know, what are you afraid of and, and what's the worst that could happen? And oftentimes the worst that could happen is, you know, someone's in their 20s starting a business and they say, well, I can't pay my rent. And I got to go live with my parents. And I said, okay, the downside is you have to live with your parents till you get back on your feet. The upside is you make something that changes your life. And it doesn't seem like a big risk to me. And I think we can look at a lot of the things we do in that way. And the, the, mm-hmm. the fears that we have are actually um, fear of something that is not really that big of a deal. Yeah. Why do you think that happens? Why do people do that? Because unfortunately, like we said earlier on, failure is not something we're taught to, to be okay with, right? And literally the grade in school is F, you failed. And it's like a devastating thing when in fact, we know that it's not creators who are listening know that if I failed at this painting, I get it right on the next one. But unfortunately, we're not taught that. And so every little mistake um, is magnified. Unfortunately, bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I noticed right away when you started talking about this was that this change really occurs at about five years old, which is when kids enter school. As a father, I've got a one-year-old son, and no matter what he does in life, this is going to be very important. Whether he becomes an artist or an entrepreneur or goes into some other kind of work, retaining the skill set that you're talking about, being able to cope with failure and deal with things that school doesn't prepare us for, is going to be tremendously important. So it's not only valuable to our audience for themselves, but for their kids and for their friends and family. Yeah, well said. Well said. Great insight, too. Um, It is when school starts... That is when that is the downfall of creativity. Uh, unfortunately, of course, you know we get a lot of good stuff from school, but in the in the creative aspect, it's uh, it's not optimal. Yeah, even if you you know, I mean, most of us can look back and say we had some really great teachers. They were people that encouraged us in mm-hmm. all the best ways. But it's still the, the the basic structure of it is, you know, it's hard because you are it's it's a progression. It's passing standardized tests. It's you know, all these things that you you have to measure up or you don't measure up. And it's, you know, particularly hard for kids that don't fit the mold and, um, you know, maybe are retain that uh, desire to think outside the box or to be creative. And, yeah. you know, it, it's <laughs> anyway, um, it, it, but it's very interesting how that follows us into adulthood, even though we're done it with is. school. It's like, no, it is. I <laughs> had with people, uh, a lot of the people that take my painting workshops are retired. I mean, they're 60 and older, and they are experiencing the same trepidation about yeah. um, taking on these new new ideas, new activities that, you know, a, a school kid might. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, they really want to overcome it. And, and so I think this type of talk is really good. It's wild how it it just permeates, you know, once you learn that lesson when you're young, it just goes right through to adulthood and just solidifies so much. Um, You mentioned having a good teacher and and how important that is. And 
I know you read this in the beginning, but for everyone listening out there, I remember like the, the we can draw a direct line to the day I was seven years old and walked into first grade and got um, a worksheet. It was a worm. And uh, we were supposed to color it, cut it out, and put it on the board. So, uh, you know, I'm I, for the, for some reason this day I'm thinking I'm going to make the best worm I possibly can. And so, you know, I was I had like the 64 crayons. Yeah, I had my arm over my sheet. No one's going to see this, and I'm doing the most original coloring I can. I cut it out. I walk up to the board, and I stop dead in my tracks as I look at all these worms, and they're you know they're colored differently, but as a collection. They're all the same. And I was devastated. Seven-year-old Joey was so shocked. And I almost cried right there. I snuck back to my desk and I actually was trying to hold back tears. I did. It was an emotional kid for some reason this day. And uh, the teacher, you know, said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, nothing, nothing. And I had my head in my hands and I'm looking down and I see the shards of paper left over from cutting the worm out. And a light went on. And I said, oh my goodness, I can use these. And so I drew a boombox, a microphone, and a necklace. I cut them out. I put them on my worm, and I put <laughs> that on the board. And now here's a moment where my life could have gone two directions. I put it on the board. The teacher came up behind me. Everybody gathered around. And the next words out of the teacher's mouth would have sent me down two dramatically different paths. She could have said, that's not the instructions. Please take that down. Instead, she said, that's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. I love it. And in that moment, life changed, direct line to writing this book. That day, I became addicted to the feeling of doing it differently. Yeah. But it's as simple as a moment and a teacher just making that decision to support something that's a little bit outside of what was assigned or what is expected. It's totally life-changing. And, you know, as, as adults, as artists, um, you know, we've, we've talked about this on the podcast uh, a couple times, but your, your personal environment, the people around you, your mm-hmm. spouse, your friends, whoever they are, other artists, they can also say things that are either incredibly supportive or incredibly devastating. <laughs> and as you, as you go into adulthood, you try to build up your defenses against the devastating things and the critiques and the criticisms that don't really strike you as anything other than, you know, you're, you're not fitting in, you're not doing this right. And that's part of the challenge of, of learning this uh, creative mindset. And, and I know you mentioned, I think it's the very first uh, part of that section where it's something about being weird, mm. like putting your weird out, you know, do it being yourself like you did with the worm, you know, and, and, even if people say, as, as an adult, even if people say, oh, that's not going to work, or um, I don't think I get it, you know, there's some kind of negativity coming at you to, to, to stand with that is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, you're going to find, you know, and by you, I'm speaking to everybody listening, you'll find that the more you express yourself, the more you're going to experience resistance from folks around you. Uh, and there's this, this actually isn't in the book, but um, there's this, there's this weird dichotomy we have where when it comes to the weird things, things that are different inside of our daily bubble, we want everything to be the same. We want people to talk the same and look the same and dress the same and don't push any boundaries. 
But then outside of our bubble, which is the, the area that we kind of exist on a daily basis, we love weird, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm not even being, you know, hyperbolic. We celebrate uh, really weird people. I'm, I'm just going to throw names out here. It's not that I'm necessarily fans, but coming to mind is Lady Gaga, uh, Johnny Depp, um, I don't know, Kanye West. We, like, th- these are people that are unabashedly themselves and unabashedly unique, and we love them for it. But if th- we see that in our daily life, unfortunately, often, we ostracize those people. And you can think about when um, maybe you're young or maybe in your first job, and you know, at school, you might say, "Hey, that's the weird kid. Don't talk to them." Or, yeah. or don't don't eat lunch with the weird person. You know, or you they, are the weird person. Right, right. <laughs> but that's it. And what I see, the, the weird person, is actually the brave one, who is being themselves despite people judging them openly. And so weird, and you know, I, the chapter is all about weird being weaponized and how you can actually take that power back and, and accept that weird when someone calls you weird, that it's an incredible compliment. And I think, you know, if you were the weird kid and you experienced bullying, you experienced ostracizing, um, you know, it, 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 again, something that follows you into adulthood as a creative person is, you know, sort of this background need to fit in, to be liked, to be accepted. And, um, and yet, you know that you survived weirdness as a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Many of us did. <laughs> yeah, we did. And, you know, you have to find other weird folks who are their own odd, you know, oddly unique individuals and, um, you know, join that wolf pack instead. Well, Joey, this has been really fantastic. Um, uh, I'm wondering if you can... Um, I don't know, tell people how to access your website, your book, or, or anything else that you want to say about, um, you know, what you're doing before before we wrap up. Well, first of all, thank you both for having me and chatting, and the time has flown, and that's always wonderful. Uh, it's nice to chat with like-minded people out in the world. Um, for everyone out there who's interested in these ideas, the Laws of Creativity, you can check it out at joeycafone.com. And uh, there's like 38 chapters, 38 laws, 38 stories that uh, I aim to entertain first and then inform second. Um, and so you can take a look at that or visit Baron Fig at BaronFig.com and see you what I'm up to. You have a newsletter as well. Is that right? I do. You can also go to my website, JoeyCafone.com and uh, subscribe to the Eureka newsletter. Or actually, you could take the Eureka Creativity course, which is a free email course that um, over, I believe it's 20 days, an email comes every other day that gives you three foundational ideas on the ideas in the book. So a bit of mindset, a bit of process, and a bit of excellence to get you started. And that's totally free. Wow, that's great. Okay, well, we want to thank you so much for joining us. It was really interesting. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I, I would encourage people to get the book. I, I have read it, and it's it's full of, it's just full of insight and um, inspiration. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as Rebecca's public profile page. For more from Rebecca Kroll, check out RebeccaKroll.com. 
and Cold Wax Academy at coldwaxacademy.com. Be sure to sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. For more from myself, Ross Tickner, check out rosstickner.com. The Messy Studio is a Tick Digital Media production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. Until then, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.